Well, let's get started, shall we? We um, uh, just an update on John. Um, John is uh, had his tube removed from uh, the feeding tube, and so he is making really good progress. We're glad to know that um, he's doing okay. And um, so we're, we're thankful for that. Uh, remember Steve, who came for a short time, said he was going to be here today, but I haven't, don't see him. He uh, is living up in Grand Blanc. Remember, he lost his job. He has got two or three interviews, I think, this week. So he's uh, very thankful for that. So those are the two uh, praises that I'm aware of. Anything else that needs to be brought to our attention? All right. Well, um, let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get busy. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity of uh, digging into your word, and we thank you that you have uh, taken care of, uh, continued to help uh, John with his recovery, with uh, Steve. We pray that you would help him find a a position soon, and uh, we again ask that you would open our eyes to what you have for us today. We thank you again for the way that you continue to serve us and care for us. And uh, we just uh, are amazed that you would choose to do so. Uh, We are unworthy, and yet you've chosen to love us in spite of who we are, not because of who we are. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're in uh, Philippians. Last week we did a a kind of an overview of uh, an intro to the the book. Uh, Today we'll get a little more serious about it. couple of things that I need to uh, just mention to you because of where we're going in today's study. Um, many of you know that uh, we've, I've talked about uh, going to Cuba, and uh, the trip to Cuba is, uh, it continues to morph. Um, and so uh, for those of you who are interested in, in going on a trip to Cuba, we will look at that again at the beginning of the year um, and figure out what would be a, uh, if it would be something that you guys would like to participate in. Uh, they have requested that we limit the number of people that go this year, uh, or this, this time, uh, because of just logistics. So um, I will be going in uh, October uh, the 9th through the 14th, and uh, uh, a board member was supposed to go with me from my uh, uh, from the nonprofit and uh, backed out. So uh, the very first one who was on the list and has been bugging me to go was uh, Rick. So Rick's going with me. Um, so that's uh, that's set up. But what the reason I wanted to mention this is that. Um, Going out today in today's mail, uh, to many of you who have contributed in the past, uh, will be a letter asking for contributions towards the Bibles um, for Cuba. So, uh, and, and because we're talking about Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1 deals with uh, the fact that Philippians is, uh, the, the church in Philippi is one of the few churches that was regularly supporting 
uh, Paul, and uh, and we'll be talking about that support and the the positive, you know, the reasons for it, etc. And I didn't want you to feel like I was uh, uh, preaching at you, and then you'd get a letter from me asking for money. Uh, it just happened to work out that way. Uh, we'll just say this: God has a, a unique sense of humor sometimes, and He seems to uh, take uh, great joy in uh, bringing things together in a unique way. <laughs> so, um, anyhow, again, what I would just simply say is this. Ask God what he wants you to do, and then simply just do whatever he says. And, and be, be grateful and thankful that, you know, if, for however he tends to lead you. Uh, that's all we've asked, and that's all we continue to ask. So uh, your faithfulness in, in giving in the past has been a great help, as you know. And um, we've already sent, uh, we've already purchased about about 300 Bibles already that we've uh, sent them the funds for to Cuba, and uh, it looks like we'll be taking some cash with us to uh, is the goal um, to purchase more Bibles while we're there. So um, it'll be interesting. I don't know that we'll be able to actually physically see them or not. It's kind of strange with. Uh, you know, every country has its own ways of doing things, and anyhow, Cuba has found out that it's it's more valuable, more profitable for them if they uh, simply uh, make money on the importing of Bibles than it does to burn them. So uh, they're deciding to uh, be somewhat capitalistic in their approach to <laughs> Bibles coming into into Cuba, which is kind of unique. But anyhow, so. That all being said, that's my preliminary so that no one feels like I've uh, 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 done something that, uh, and I'm preaching at you to try to get you to do something that, you know, that maybe God doesn't lay in your heart. So that that being said, there's my my uh, announcement. And uh, well, let's go to Philippians chapter 1. And let's do this. Let's read the first uh, 18 verses. Uh, I think that would be the best. First 18 verses, and then we'll unpack as far as we can today. Uh, we've already done, obviously, the first couple, but it always helps to kind of get a running start. So we'll start at Denny's table. Dan's holding down the fort at his table, Gary's table, and uh, Tom's table, and our table. And we'll go from there. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all make my prayers of joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Six. Six. Being confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work to do will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in change or defense, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight 
to help you to help you to determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that all that has happened to me has helped spread the good news. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambitions, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in a way, in person. 18, right? Yep. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Okay. Well, isn't it though? Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 uh, it's always interesting too when I start to study and I use a variety of of uh, tools and specifically commentaries. Some commentaries use one translation, other commentaries use another translation. And uh, inevitably, I will try to read a second or third or fourth uh, version just to get a... There he is. Hey, bud. How you doing, man? Uh, so it, it's kind of fun, but it's always fun when I come here and I listen to uh, all of you having you know, your favorite translation. Gary's uh, green is gone right now, and, and he's out in uh, Colorado Springs with his grandkids, but... He always uh, uses the New Living Translation, which uh, is uh, is always I always poke fun at him because that's one of the translations that uh, one of my former professors actually worked on, and um, I always kid him because it's it's not a, a it's not a word for word; it's more of a dynamic equivalence uh, translation. And um, so, those of you who have translations, you know, use one that you're comfortable with. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad just because it, it's chosen to go one way or the other. And I find that sometimes dynamic equivalence really helps if you're having a hard time understanding a passage. Sometimes the, the literal translation is a little silted uh, and sometimes hard to understand. Other times it pulls out some really important information. We're going to we're going to find that in a couple of places here uh, today as we go through this. So we're in chapter uh, one of Philippians, and we we're, we looked at the first two uh, <coughs> excuse me the first two words, first two verses last week, and we're gonna we're gonna try it a little further this week. So um, one of the things I like about this is that we talk about the fact that there's fellowship here among these people. They have great fellowship. What does fellowship mean to you? It's like just all getting together and having a, and noshing, you know, having some food. Is that is that fellowship or is fellowship going out and uh, going golfing, 
uh, or going shooting or going bowling or playing some other sport? Is that what fellowship is? What, what's fellowship to you? A long time ago, there's somebody defined it this way. It's a bunch of fellows in the same ship on an ocean. Okay. <laughs> there's a certain amount of truth to that. What do you think? I think it, all of those things. All those things. Plus. We're Plus. We're working together for the common good of yeah. 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 I think it's it's having uh, an understanding that of who we are and whose we are, and then the 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 coming together for the advancement of that that cause of Christ. And fellowship is more than just eating. It's more than just going on a retreat. It's more than just going, you know, having a golf game. It's uh, it's more than grabbing coffee at Panera. It's it's kind of doing life together. It's the way that we work as a group. And sometimes that's a little tough for those of us who are males. You know, I don't know why we we seem to have a hard time sometimes connecting. You know, how many? I won't ask her a show of hands, but how many of you actually have a really good close friend? You know, and, and how many close friends do you have? And, and often the, the question is... Yeah, yeah, which means what? Assembly, church, group? Yeah. Fellowship is also, is one of those words that in the Greek is, is the word koinonia. Some churches used to have a class, and they would call the class koinonia, you know, which is just simply means fellowship. It means doing life together, which I think is a great way of thinking about it. Being in a boat, in the same boat, going in the same direction. Opposite yep. of the Titanic. Opposite of the Titanic. <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, that's probably a good idea. It's not quite the idea. So we have this, uh, uh, this interesting way of how God uh, uses things. And this is one of the things that we talked about last week. Paul uses the standard way of writing a letter and then expands upon it. He takes what is the, the norm, what is the tradition of writing a letter. Remember we talked about that last week in the first century? You always start with a name, you know, who is it from, to who is it for, greetings. And then and, and we go from there. Remember how Paul, we talked about how Paul takes that standard form and instead of saying greetings which he he does a play on word and he says grace and remember grace and greetings are almost the same word in the greek the way they're spelled and so he says grace and peace be to you and so there is this sense that this pattern happens and one of the things i find fascinating about this is that paul uses the tradition but is not afraid to break tradition if it's going to help advance the cause of Christ. And so often in churches, we have this problem where we get stuck in tradition. And the tradition ends up sometimes putting a stranglehold on us because we're, un- we're, we're unwilling or scared of doing something outside of the norm. Is that ever, you've never experienced that in churches, I'm sure. You know, I can remember the first time that I was uh, at a church that had a lot of traditions, and we decided we were going to move the communion pulpit so that we could do a, a concert. Oh, my word, you'd have thought that the world was going to come to an end because we were moving the communion pulpit, you know, the communion table. That was, you know, sacrosanct, and you couldn't touch it. You couldn't move it. 
uh, or the time that you know we decided we were going to move a, a, a table and it had been donated by Aunt Tilly, you know, or in memory of Aunt Tilly, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? And and boy, you know, you couldn't move anything because the family would get upset because boy, that's Aunt Tilly's table. None of you have ever experienced that in church. Well, you guys have not gotten very deep into leadership because man, as soon as you get there, it's amazing. You know, there's one thing that, that I've I've heard say. There are two things that you don't want to ever learn: how how to make laws, and how you make sausage. And in churches, sometimes the way we make laws or the way we make policies is is a lot like making sausage. You know, we we do a lot of decision making sometimes for the, and we make decisions based upon feelings not based upon doctrine and that that becomes an issue and paul had no problem breaking tradition but he also had no problem staying with tradition if it was necessary so paul takes his standard leather form and he creates a way of of letting us know that it's important as to that he that he wants to let these people know they're important so he says greetings we've talked about that we've talked about the fact that he also says that there are saints and saints are, uh, are important. It's good to know or to remember that uh, in this time frame, uh, a saint simply meant somebody who was what? Sanctified. Sanctified. Or? Set apart, set apart from this world. Which means, what is, what is another way of saying set apart? Okay, class, put your thinking hats on. It starts with an H, it ends with a Y. Yeah, holy, yes, holy. Holy is meaning set apart. And when someone is holy, they're set apart to God. And those people are saints, at least in the first century. Now, as, as time went on, obviously the church changed. And, and that's fine. Churches have, the, you know, the, the often will make things that work for them. And they, we've talked about that. Remember we talked about last week, we talked about the deacons. And the overseers, and the, the term overseer, we, sh- we looked in Acts 20, and we saw that overseer is also uh, the same person was called an elder, and the same person was also called a shepherd or a pastor. And we talked about how that in that time frame, the, the, uh, the word elder made, made a lot of sense. If you were Jewish, if you were uh, Gentile, the word overseer or bishop made more sense to you. You understood what that meant. And the word pastor... Uh, had the idea of shepherd or somebody who who guided and cared for the sheep, and so uh, in the early church, it was this is the way it was handled. Obviously, other churches now have gone and expressed a different way of expressing that. And so, even I mentioned to you last week that that um, uh, the Methodist Church, when they uh, ordain um, a person into the ministry, they first ordain them as deacons, even though they run as pastors. Their their ordination is a deacon, and then later they're ordained as a as a uh, as a pastor as a pastor, and has a different set of connotations in that church. I've mentioned, I think, in the past that uh, uh, the Presbyterian Church PC, uh, PCA Presbyterian Church of America, or, you know, PCUSA, I think it is. They came out a number of years ago and said that all of their pastors would would now be called a bishop, but it would be with a small b, and they would save the big b for another something else, you know, for another meaning. So it, this is this is not unusual for churches to do that. 
Uh, Catholic Church is one of those, Anglican Church, uh, another, that, that has uh, different uh, ways of, uh, and as the hierarchy goes, they've created a way of, of doing that. And there's positives and negatives to hierarchies and no hierarchies. You know, just because one way works for one church doesn't necessarily mean it works well for another. And for some strange reason, those of us who are in, in America, we tend to want to be individuals. And sometimes we want to do things our own way. In fact, I'm, I'm always amazed at new churches that have new ways of doing titles. Some of the titles, I have no idea what they mean, you know, that they come up with. But it makes sense to them, and that's fine. You know, you ever try to find a flow chart for Kensington? You'll be hard-pressed to find one. I've yet to find one that makes any sense to me. I know the top. I know the bottom. I know I'm pretty much on the bottom because I'm not staff. I'm just a person in the pew, right? All right, so <clears throat> talked about in this idea of being, uh, we come here to grace and peace. And I thank God, every, in verse 3, I thank God every time I pray for you. This is not unusual. This is, again, very typical of early letters. Uh, there's a, a letter uh, that was found in uh, 168 uh, B.C. that an Egyptian woman wrote to her husband in which she uh, asks him to return home from a period of religious seclusion in a temple in Memphis, Egypt. And she greets her, her husband almost the exact same way that Paul does here, talking about, you know, I pray for you often, and I remember you in your, my prayers, and I'm thinking of you. And we're, we're continually thinking of you. Uh, and so this mentioning of, a, of, a, of, of God's to the recipient of, the, of, a, of a letter is not unusual in, in private correspondence. All right. So then they talk about the fact that Paul talks about the fact that he's entered into a partnership with them. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers. Uh, I, I always pray, pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now. What kind of partnership have they got? Yeah. Yeah. Gospel work and kingdom work. Now, if you read this and you understand that they are also contributing to his welfare, you might be tempted to say, oh, well, the partnership is that they give money and Paul does the work. Which happens to be true in a lot of churches. A lot of churches think that the staff, you know, we hired you to do the work of the ministry. You're supposed to do it. We just get to sit back and observe. And throw money at you. And a little bit. Not all a lot. You know, we, don't want you to get, we don't want you to get too, uh, cut, you know, settled in your ways. So that's more than that. Because this, this partnership was not just about money. It was also about being concerned about Paul's welfare and about ministering and doing some of the same things that Paul is doing, and they're just doing it in Philippi. So there is a, a partnership there that comes that is a practical assistance, and it's also, it provides for the advancement of the gospel, uh, and that's important. It's important that they, uh, that they and it's also important that they, are, they have been consistent in their partnership with him uh, from uh, the beginning. They didn't waver. You know, often Giuseppe hasn't been here this summer, but uh, Giuseppe, you talk, or you talk to any missionary, you'll know that it's not unusual for them to have people say, yeah, we're going to support you, and then have a hard time getting that support to come in from them. You know, they have the best of intentions, but, you know, without realizing that what you've done is you've put that person 
into a bind or that ministry into a bind if you're not providing funds for them like you said you would because they're counting on that. You know, um, it's amazing. I can remember uh, Giuseppe, when he first went on the field, he was doing really well. And uh, he had, uh, had more than enough money to take care of his needs. In fact, he was actually funding other missionaries because he had been blessed. And then churches and or organizations and or individuals started to uh, withdraw their support for a whole variety of reasons. And when that happened, uh, suddenly, you know, it became harder and harder for him to make, make do, make ends meet on the, on, the, on the mission field. Now, since then, God's blessed, and he's had some churches that have come on since then that have helped, but he's still not, last I knew, he was not up at 100%, you know, what he thought he needed. So that's, that's a struggle, when we, and, but the Philippians were faithful in taking care of Paul. In fact, they were the only church that was doing that. Think about that. The only church doing that. Paul's traveling all over the, the known world, all over the Roman world. And, uh, you know, so he's doing a lot of work as a tent maker, obviously. Why? Well, because you got to pay the bills. you got to eat. You know, and uh, so it's important that, that we understand that. And he's talking about the, the, these fellow participants. Uh, they are uh, they're with me uh, of the same grace. They're there and their participation Participation is another form of what we call fellowship or koinonia. It's, it's just another way of translating that. So we see that there as well. So, all right. So we are looking here at, uh, isn't it interesting that Paul is, pa- Paul is in prison. Think about this. Paul is in prison. He's in chains. He's hopeful of getting a good response of the, of the uh, trial that he's going to go through. But is he thinking of himself or is he thinking of the Philippians when he writes them? Oh, woe is me. I'm in chains. I can't handle it. I'm going to die for God. Maybe. I don't know. What's he, is he thinking about himself or is he thinking about the Philippians? I've often found that, that when people are in difficult times in their ministry, often they end up ministering better to other people than, than, than they get ministered to. I, I, I can remember an instance where we were, uh, we were transitioning from a ministry out of the ministry, and we were, we were pretty broke up over it, but we felt like this was definitely God's plan. And uh, we uh, announced it, and we spent more time consoling everyone else at the ministry than than they did us, you know, <laughs> because they were, you know, they they just were heartbroken over it, and that God was leading us away from them. And um, I find it fascinating that, that often happens. There have been times when I've been in the midst of a, what I consider to be a major trial in my life. And I end up having to, to minister to others, and you think to yourself, "Where do you get the Where do you get the grace to do that, God? How, how does that happen, God? Because the closer you, and, and, and it's no no boasting of myself, because it's only because I was hurting that I was driven more towards spending more time with God, and the result of that was that God allowed me to be able to minister to others, not because I was strong, but because of my weakness. Because I was relying on him. Because there was no way in the world I was going to be able to do it. 
myself, and it's often that that is the case. So Philippians, the church in Philippi, was the only church, as I mentioned, that entered into kind of this fellowship with Paul and, and, and supporting his ministry. In the, in the very first few verses here, we have God, uh, the work of God that God does for us, which is salvation. In verse, uh, I believe it's like verse 4, in, in, in th- in three, and the work that God does in us is sanctification, and the work that God does through us is service. And so all these three things come into play here. God saves us. That's the work he does for us. God sanctifies us, which is a process. Am I closer to Christ today than I was when I first came to know him? That's the question you should ask. Am I closer to Christ today than I was a year ago? Am I closer to Christ today than I was a month ago? Am I closer to Christ today than I was a day ago? How, how, how are you doing in your own personal scorecard? Because that's what sanctification is. And by the way, sanctification is not something that we do. It's something that God does. So often we think that we have to do something in order to be more sanctified, to be more holy, to be more like Christ. Do we do, are we capable of becoming like Christ in our own one of you is shaking your head. The rest of you are really silent. So often, I want to do something so I can be more sanctified. And I'm going to do this, right? So that I can... Is that how it happens? It's not by works. No, it's not by our works at all. It's by God's grace and mercy. And, and the fact that what, what happens is the closer we stay to God, the more He does in our lives. I've used this expression, I know, uh, a while, for um, a number of times. You probably get tired of it, but it's the one thing that reminds me. The more that I spend time with someone, the more I become like them. You ever notice that? You spend time with, with somebody and you start taking up their phrases and their terminology. You know? That must be it, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, can remember, I can remember, I've told you this, that I, I came back. From I was in in college in, in the understudy uh, undergraduates uh, program, and I came back and I sang at my church, and I had this older gentleman come up to me who I had never met, and he said, "You take lessons from Bill McCauley." I go, "Yes, I do." I said, "How do you know that?" He says, "Because you sound just like Bill." I said, "Really?" I said, how, "And how do you know Bill?" He says, "He's my son." <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. McCauley was. It was my voice professor at college, and uh, he trained me, and I, my mannerisms, my way of, of expressing songs, my way of, of coloring the song was all based upon what Bill taught me, and uh, Bill's dad knew right away that I spent time with Bill. What, do, do people know that you spent time with God? That, that's, how you, that's how you get sanctified. You spend time with him. And it isn't, you know, just fly by. Hey, good to see you, Dad. I'll t- see you later. Yeah, not like teenagers. That's one thing, the consistency, you know, whether it's family, um, you know, brothers, sisters. They, yeah. Consistency is so important because they're watching all the time because they might, you know, they look at it differently. 
Yep. Yep. You're an example, whether you realize it or not, no matter how you feel each day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people are watching. Kids are watching. Yeah. Neighbors are watching. Co-workers are watching. People in church are watching. Can't hide as much as you might want to. Our relationship with Jesus is a two-way street. He's always there. He's always reaching out, working to us. But if we don't respond to it, then there's no way. That's right. There's no way of relationship that doesn't grow. That's right. Sanctification is actually a it's reciprocal only in the sense that we have to stay connected to him. Yeah, we have to be a willing participant. That's right. Yeah. He's a gentleman, he won't force himself on anyone. So if we resist, there's no sanctification. Think about this. How does a branch bear fruit? How does a branch bear fruit? Our horticulturist would like to. If, if you cut off the branch, will it continue to bear fruit? It will not. It will not. Okay, we're pretty sure of that. So, so if you take a branch and and I, I just was in, I've just been out to wine country, okay, and we were talking with one of the wineries. We were taking a tour and we were listening to the way that they were. Uh, working with their vines, and they said that this particular vineyard that we were looking at all had uh, the, the 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 vines. The roots were one type of of, of uh, grape, but the vines themselves had been grafted, and they were all European vines. They had been grafted into a vine that was apparently native to America. And it was producing fruit. Why was it producing fruit? Because it was connected to the roots, the vine. And, and just like it is, Jesus says that the way that you're going you're gonna to create fruit is what? Staying grafted to him. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Stick with me and you'll create a lot of fruit. Don't stick with me and there won't be a lot of fruit. By the way, you know the the other thing they do on vine, which I, you know, is great for 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 grapes, and I'm sure great for. I've seen they do this on, on orchards too, where they cut the the branches back and they make them you know small so they can reach them with iron to climb real high. My grandmother had apple trees and pear trees that were so tall you had to climb up in them to to get them, you know, which was great as a kid because I always go up to the top and look for the the best apples, you know, or the best pears. But uh, it made it really tough. Uh, and in orchards, they're never that they're never that tall. Why? Well, they they prune them. Why do they prune them? So they make they bear more fruit. You ever thought that maybe God's in the process? Just thinking, maybe He's in the process of pruning some of you so that you'll make more fruit. Some of you've been so wild and crazy that, that He's got to prune you to to make. The fruit happen? I don't know if this works with that, but but the fact is that you when you stress a tree, it'll make more fruit. So I don't know if that works with humans, but but that's why you, that works. Well, I think that when we get stressed, what happens is we get either driven towards God or away from God. And the the, the more that we're driven towards God, <laughs> the deeper our growth is going to be. So it's more the reciprocal relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's <coughs> 
It's not just him working. It's just how we respond to this. Oh, yeah. 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 Show me your show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you mine with mine, right? I'm going to do something. So I, 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 I saw this story. It was talking about joy in, in, for, in Christian fellowship and how God works in our lives day by day. And, and there was a woman who went to a marriage counselor, and she said, there's a lot of friction in our home, and I really don't know what the trouble is. And the counselor told her, he says, friction is caused by one of two things. And to illustrate it, he picks up a, two blocks of wood from his desk, and he says, if one block is moving, the other is standing still, there's friction. Or if both are moving but in opposite directions, there's friction. So, so which is it? And the wife says, I have to admit that I've been going backwards in my Christian life and Joe has really been growing. I guess what I need to do is get back in fellowship with the Lord. And so often that's true. Is we, we are moving, if you're moving in opposite directions, there's going to be friction in your home. And the problem is, you know, how do you do that? Well, you've got to be in concert. How do you how do you change a spouse? Can you change a spouse? No. No. That's the answer. That's the correct answer. It's also it's also the true answer. You don't change your spouse. How how do you change your spouse? Change yourself. Change yourself. Changing yourself will change your spouse. Seems strange, seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Okay, maybe it doesn't for you, but it does for me. Paul talks about the fact that he wants these people close to his heart. He says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Really? Will he? Do you believe it? You do? Why is it sometimes we act like we don't? It's nature. Nature, nature versus nurture. Yeah, there's, a, there's a struggle, isn't there? Sometimes we just aren't sure if God's going to really continue to do what he promised he'd do. He says, make us into the image of his son. And he says, hey, listen, God doesn't stop halfway. As a kid, I used to get frustrated working on models. You ever did that? You know, where you got to glue the little pieces together and, and you get to the point where you get so frustrated you just leave it? Sometimes, I, I, I once, a couple of years ago, I came across this model car that I had been building, and I got so frustrated, I left it, and it was it'd been it'd been there for years. God doesn't do that. God doesn't set you on a shelf and go, "Okay, that's it, you're done, no more." Not gonna, I'm never going to finish my what I started with you. He's always going to work to to make sure that it's completed. Now, I might not like the completion process, just saying. I might not like the completion process, but it's there. And he, says, he goes on to say in verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. I, I'm, I wonder if Paul, I, I don't know that this is the case, I'm just speculating. But do you think that Paul was thinking like the Old Testament or the, or the high priest in Israel, they would wear an ephod over their heart. It was a, a, a like a breastplate, but the, the thing about the breastplate was that it had 12 stones, and each stone represented one of the tribes of Israel. And the idea was that God, 
the picture was that the high priest was representing the people to God and, and in some ways the high priest was the representative of God to the people in the sense that he showed them that God cherished them by keeping them close to his heart. Paul does that with these, with his, these believers in Philippi. He keeps them close to his heart. And he prays that they'll experience un, abounding and discerning love. Abounding and discerning love in one of the, one of the translations here. Uh, that's really important because we're told that uh, the ability to distinguish, the ability to understand, to discern, is one of the marks of maturity. Um, you know, as a kid, as a baby, you first learn about animals, right? And you might call any four-legged animal for a while, you might call them uh, a dog or a bow-wow or something, right? But eventually, when you get a little older, you understand that there are different animals. There's cats and dogs, goats and pigs and cows. They're not all the same animal. But it takes a while for you to discern that. And it takes an opportunity. You know, a, little, a, little a little kid looks at one automobile and probably thinks of them pretty much all the same. Uh, some of you are absolutely car crazy. Just saying, and, and there, there are guys out there that just, they know every car. And it used to be on Channel 4, the NBC affiliate here in Detroit, a guy by the name of Chuck Gatica. Remember Chuck Gatica? Yeah. Became a believer, is now uh, pastoring, uh, helping to pastor a church. And it's been a couple, I'm not sure which one he's at right now. Anyhow, he was known for being able to just be able to distinguish any car that you could show him, he would know. And, and it could be as, as something as small as a piece of chrome, uh, a headlight, a, a taillight. Uh, he knew, and they would try and trick him on the, uh, during like the, uh, uh, the, yeah, the car show. They'd, they'd show him up and they'd see if he could do it or during a, you know, the Woodward Cruise. They, they'd, and he'd, he, he never was stumped. He always was able to figure out, oh, that's the taillight of a 57 Chevy. Or, you know, that's a, a 1961 uh, Corvette, you know. Uh, he, he knew. Uh, he just was crazy. And, and so it is that discernment comes with what? How do you become, how do you become discerning? Well, knowledge, I guess. Knowledge, yeah. Which means that you have to do what? To, to gain knowledge. <laughs> Gary goes, Boop, spend some time in a word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. That's great. It's great. Absolutely. All right. So let's go on here. What are we doing? All right. So uh, look at this. Uh, I just want to point this out to you in uh, chapter 1, verse 7. As we get to here, he says, uh, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Well, this term defending and confirming is, uh, is kind of interesting because in the Greek it has, uh, it, it is, there are words that are used to describe uh, speaking, uh, the defense counsel speaking at a trial. Is, is, is what's going on here. And so he's saying that he's going to defend and confer, confirm the gospel 
And I think the the point is that in chains, even in chains, if he's even if he stays in chains, he will still confirm and defend the gospel. And he'll do it certainly he'll do it if he's out of chains too. Gentleman just went by. We need to catch him. I think he just went I showed a door open. Alright, so he says, uh, God can testify how long uh, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is really important. That I think that he wants to uh, love us. And he says this, he says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound. Abound. And we talked about abounding love, I was just talking about, it, and discerning love. And he says, and I want you uh, abound more and more in knowledge. That's how you get uh, depth, and that's how you abound, is in knowledge, in the depth and insight. So that's the uh, discernment. So he wants, to have a, he wants them to have abounding love, and discerning love, or be the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. And he says we want that, for that to be uh, what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Let me read that again. So this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is the best uh, what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So this idea of pure and blameless. Uh, some of you have a different translation. Someone got the word sincere there. I think the King James uses sincere. Yeah. yeah. So this idea of sincere is an interesting uh Greek word. The Greek word can be translated one of two ways. And I think that both might be applicable here. I think Paul might be using both definitions. The first one is, uh, is to be tested by sunlight. One of the ways that you purify something is you put it in sunlight and you allow the sunlight to destroy, you know, like um, mold and, and that sort of thing. It can be done by light. You can bleach something by light. So there's a sense to which God wants us to, to stand and, and to be tested by sunlight. And so we're sincere in that way that we'd stand the test. The other is an interesting concept. I love the way that the Greek is sometimes like Hebrew. It has wildly different meanings at times. It depends on how it's used in the sentence. And I'm not sure that I think the, the, the translators here have chosen... This one, the, the word actually means to whirl as in a sieve. Think of it like you're winnowing chaff, to get rid of the chaff. And so what you're looking at is at the end of that process, at the end of being pure, that you may be pure and blameless until the day. The idea of pure is the sense that it's unadulterated or unmixed. You have been, the chaff has been gotten rid of, or perhaps what's been bad has been burned off by the sun. And what you're left with is the pure, unadulterated, unmixed, blameless before Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ uh, to glory and praise of God. This idea, he says, without offense until the day of God. Without offense. Can we live without offense? Paul says in Romans that if it's, if it's at all possible, live without offending. 
But if necessary, or sometimes you, you, ne- you necessarily have to, don't you? What is the fruit that, that Paul is referring to here? What is the fruit that, that God wants to see in your heart? Love, peace, okay. The fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's a sense to which our character uh, glorifies God as we do it. There's, there's an interesting, a couple of interesting other things to do too, though. In Romans 1, it would appear that Paul compares the winning of lost souls to Christ uh, as bearing fruit. He talks about it as a harvest. That um, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, and I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest, that I might gather the fruit in among you, a harvest among you, just as I've had among other Gentiles. There's another sense to which we are called to be holy, and being holy is a fruit that God wants us to have. Think about this in Romans 6. 22. Most of us know 623, but 622 is kind of an interesting one. It says this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap, remember that's the fruit, you're going to reap the fruit, you're going to reap the harvest, is holiness. And the result of that is eternal life. And in Colossians 1, which we're going to, after we do Philippians, we're going to go into Colossians, it says that it is uh, he wants us to be fruitful in every good work. In, in Hebrews uh, uh, 13, it talks about that praise is the fruit of our lips. So there's a lot of different fruit. It's the, the, the fruit of character, Galatians. That's the one that we come. But additionally, God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be winning souls. God wants us to, uh, to praise him. Those are all things that God considers fruit. What I find fascinating about this is that it, it, every time I look at Scripture, I'm always amazed at how God uses, God teaches you the same thing, but he teaches it in different ways for different people. I was really, I'm really wound and love the idea of what it means to be, uh, to, to offer spiritual sacrifices before God and, and the idea of being a, 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 a believer priest. But I find that many of those same things that God's talking about is what it means to be a believer priest. He's talking about as a farmer here who, who gathers in the crops, having uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit, being holy, uh, being a soul winner, uh, living a life that, that brings about good fruit and, and the fruit of praise. Those are all things that are also considered spiritual sacrifices. If you didn't get it one way, God says, okay, for those of you that that." Don't understand it this way. I'll come at it from this perspective. I love the fact that God continues to teach, and he teaches in multiple ways so that no matter what your background is, you'll find a way of connecting to God's word. It might be a little different than the way I connect to it, but he's going to teach you the same thing. He's just going to do it from a different perspective. And I take great joy in that. By the way, have you ever noticed that fruit trees... They don't make a great deal of noise when they bring in a crop. They just bring in the crop. It just it, fall out of the tree. Yeah, and and it's it, that's the way it should be in life too. You know, unless yeah, unless you're Newton, you're sitting under an apple tree and fun. <laughs> boink, <yeah>. boink. <laughs> but you know, I think that's the, the natural way that fruit is a result. It just you don't create a lot of noise. You don't boast about what you're doing. 
It just happens. You start boasting about it. You know, can you imagine the, the fruit tree going, ah, I'm so great, look at this, I produced this fruit. Versus saying, God produced it. You know how easy it is to take God's... I, I've told you this. How many times have I told you? I, I'll, I'll be asking God, I, I, need, I need some sales. We're, you know, a little low, one's getting tight. Could you bring in some sales? God brings in sales, and the first thing I do is I brag. I want to brag about how good I am. What a great salesman I am. Wait a second. I just asked God to do that. He does it, and then I take and steal his glory. How often do we steal God's glory for things he's done in our lives? Or we want to horn in and take, you know, and share the glory. Oh, I just want to share the glory with God, right? I want to stand next to him and share the glory when he's done all the work. Okay, I know none of you are like that. I'm the only one that does that. Okay, sorry. That's just, I'm, I am a very, I'm a very sinful person. I, I really am. The difference between spiritual fruit and human religious activity is that fruit brings glory to Jesus Christ. And often religious activity brings glory to ourselves. That's how you can tell. Is it spiritual fruit or human spiritual activity or religious activity? All right. I got no time to do any of the context. I've done context all along the way. I've, I've pretty much slammed this pretty good, at least me. By the way, in case you're wondering, when we do these things, especially this, these books of if you, the um, epistles, I'm going to end up beating, beating up more than you are. And anything, any, in, anything that you feel uncomfortable about that, you know, that I'm dwelling on and hitting a sore spot, well, know that those sore spots have already been hit by me. I, I, God's already hit me with them. And it's one of the reasons they hurt. It's because they hurt me. And I relate to them. So uh, God wants us to live a life that brings purity and honor to him. We got through the first 11 verses today. And we'll go through the rest of this chapter next week, Lord willing, or at least a portion of it. So let's live a life that brings forth fruit. Let's do it in a way that we abound more and more in love and that we do so with deep insight so that we are pure and blameless when Christ comes. Father, thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word. Guide and direct us today. We ask you to continue to work in our lives as we seek to follow you, and we pray that as we do this study of Philippians, you will help us to see how areas that we need to improve in our lives and that we would allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us so that we might become more like you. God, we need to be like Jesus Christ, and we know that that is a process that not only means that we abide in the vines, but that we also are at times pruned. And sometimes the pruning process is not real pleasant. We pray, Father, you'd help us to stick through it and to endure it, knowing that the result is that we'll become like our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.